I know that some of you or maybe many of you had a difficult day today um, simply because that's how things are. And a teacher of mine, a very beloved teacher of mine uh, named Ajahn Panyavado, uh, died a couple of days ago. Um, he was in his upper 70s and uh, was really a, a wonderful person and a, a wonderful teacher of mine and passed along a great deal of wisdom to me. One of the things he used to say to me and many others is, when things are difficult, to try to be a good sport, <laughs> which is really um, very endearing. It was really his style, that, that kind of endearing uh, kind of teaching. Yeah. Whether things are difficult physically, whether the body was in a great deal of pain today, or even just minor pain, you know, just itchiness or restlessness or whatever it might be. If there was emotional pain, for whatever the reason, situations in your life or situations, memories of the past, uh, difficulties of any sort, emotionally, mentally, um, just this remembering uh, to be a good sport in the midst of it, it can help. So sometimes this practice is called the practice of recollection. It's one of the names for this practice. And there are two reasons why it can be called the practice of recollection. One reason is that it is easy to be mindful, and it is sometimes, maybe often, quite difficult to remember to be mindful. That's where the difficulty comes in. Another reason is because we are recollecting ourselves. The practice of recollection means we are recollecting ourselves. There is a gathering together. So the first aspect of this practice of recollection, that it's easy to be mindful, we might hear this and scoff a little bit and think, well, maybe for you or maybe for someone else, but it's not easy to be mindful at all. In actuality, mindfulness is utterly simple. And because our minds are so complicated, sometimes we make it a whole lot more difficult than it is. Sometimes in our efforts to try to be mindful, we miss mindfulness. You know, because we're always trying for something in the future based on our experiences in the past. You know, we're always trying to repeat something or we're trying to grasp or hold on to um, something that we've heard about or been told or read about or this or that. And so we miss the simplicity of mindfulness itself. What mindfulness is, a very simple definition, is that it is bringing a fullness of mind, a wholeness of heart, to whatever it is that is occurring in the present moment. Now, that is really what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is neither aversion nor clinging nor identification, you know, identifying ourselves through the contents of our minds, another definition of mindfulness. It is a noticing, you know, noticing the nuances of what is occurring. It is a non-judgmental observation, a kind 
seeing, a kind observation of the present moment. Mindfulness can only happen in the here and now. We can be mindful of our thoughts about the past. We can be mindful of our thoughts about the future. Mindfulness is being fully, deeply aware, present in the here and now. It's being present without a personal agenda. And this is where it's different than ordinary attentiveness. In ordinary attentiveness, we are usually attentive because we want something. In some way, we're attentive only to the pleasure or only to the good things or only when we uh, think we might get something out of it. And mindfulness is different because it doesn't actually serve our very narrowly defined sense of self. It actually is a serving of life itself, of which we are. So it serves oneself, certainly, but not the narrowly defined sense that we carry around with us. It serves life flowing through everything. And so it's quite different than picking and choosing. It's really an openness of mind. It is easy to be mindful. It is hard to remember. And one of our questions is, what are we remembering? Well, on one level, we're simply remembering to be present. Over and over again, we're calling ourselves back from our fantasies and our dreams and our concoctions and our, our ideas and our um, ways of chopping up life, this and that. You know, we're just simply calling ourselves back. So we're remembering to be present. On another level, we're remembering something else. On another level, we are remembering over and over again what we are not. We are remembering that we are not just these thoughts that flow through the mind, that we are not our thoughts. We are remembering that we are not actually the emotion that is occurring in the present moment. We can observe that emotion, but this is not who we are. So we're remembering who we are not. On a whole nother level, we are remembering something else. And just to read you a a poem by Naomi Shahib Nye. When they say, don't I know you, say no. When they invite you to the party, remember what parties are like before answering. Someone telling you in a loud voice they once wrote a poem. Greasy sausage balls on a paper plate. Then reply. If they say we should get together, say why. (laughs) It's not that you don't love them anymore. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight. Tell them you have a new project. It will never be finished. When someone recognizes you in a grocery store, nod briefly and become a cabbage. When someone you haven't seen in 10 years appears at the door, don't start singing him all your new songs. You will never catch up. Walk around feeling like a leaf. No, you could tumble any second, then decide what to do with your time. So we are here remembering our priorities in life. We're here remembering what is most important to us. We're here remembering what our hearts yearn for. 
In terms of our priorities, of course, we all have individual things that are very meaningful to us that are really priorities. And retreats really help us to remember our personal priorities. And this is so helpful. You know, the people that we really want to connect to, the people that we want to ask some forgiveness of, the people that we want to say something that we haven't said that we need to say that might be quite difficult to say. You know, whatever it might be, remembering what our personal priorities are. And at the same time, remembering that perhaps one of our deepest and most universal priorities is to be free, is to know the inner luminosity of heart for ourselves. This is an ancient echo that has been forgotten by us. And so this is one thing that we are over and over again remembering Basically, we are remembering our own true nature, our original heart, our original mind. We are reminded in this environment, one wonderful thing of being on retreat is that there are so many ways of being reminded. Instead of being home and having our lists and uh, the lists reminding us of what we haven't done that we still need to do, um, instead of the variety of, of um, ways that we can find ourselves extremely busy and distracted at home. In this environment, we get constant reminders if we listen, you know, if we're quiet and if we listen. And, of course, we get quieter and quieter, and so we can listen ever more deeply. So we are in, in reminded in the retreat environment by the environment itself. You know, just walking outside in nature here, uh, there's a reminder. We look at the trees. They're not really having much of a problem. You know, we think, we think. Maybe they are, but we don't know it. They look pretty cool. They look pretty calm. Uh, we, we walk around. We look at the sky. We notice that incredible thunderstorm that happened last night, you know, that must have woken everybody up. Or <laughs> You're very, very deep sleeper if it didn't. You know, extraordinary thunderstorm. And then some, some brightness. You know, and then uh, dark at 3 o'clock this afternoon. You know, the, the teachings of impermanence, in other words, through the weather you know, that we're so lucky to have in New England. Uh, this constantly changing weather. And seeing that it's the same inside. The inner weather of thoughts and emotions, physical sensations coming and going. Changing and we, we see the difficulty, the suffering, when we cling and think that the, what we're feeling right now is simply going to be repeated you know, over and over again and may even get worse. Now, this is when we find ourselves having difficulties. The environment helps us to let go of the non-essential. It helps us to relax into simplicity, the simplicity that, of course, is not here just simply in this environment. You know, what, of course, we're moving into is a simplicity of heart wherever we are. But in this environment, perhaps because of the simplicity of the environment, we can be reminded of an inner simplicity as well. Just to read you a poem by Genzai. It's called Poem Without a Category. 
Trailing my stick, I go down to the garden edge, call to a monk to go out the pine gate, a cup of tea with my mother, looking at each other, enjoying our tea together. In the deep lanes, few people in sight. The dog barks when anyone comes or goes. Fall floods have washed away the planks of the bridge. Shouldering our sandals, we wade the narrow stream. By the roadside, a small pavilion where there used to be a little hill. It helps out our hermit mood. Country poems pile one sheet on another. I dabble in the flow, delighted by the shallowness of the stream. Gaze at the flagging, admiring how firm the stones are. The point in life is to know what's enough. Why envy those otherworld immortals? With the happiness held in one inch square heart, you can fill the whole space between heaven and earth. An example of utter simplicity, both outwardly as well as inwardly. We are also reminded in this environment through the forms of sitting and walking, these ancient forms, you know, these forms that have lasted for over 2,500 years, and of course way before that in different ways. The form itself being a reminder, you know, coming into the hall over and over again, whether we want to or not, whether we're excited to get to come back into the hall, or whether at times we truly wish that the hall would disappear and there would be nowhere to get back to. You know, whatever our feelings, the form of over and over again coming back into the hall and sitting, you know, and then being reminded, of course, by one another, you know, at times peeking and noticing that others are here still, you know, No matter how I feel, no matter what is happening, others are here as well, doing the very same thing. And so we can feel a reminder in that, just simply looking around at, at others. The forms of sitting and walking are truly invaluable. Now, in the sitting, we're practicing whatever the method is, just sitting, you know, just sitting. Today, just breathing. Nothing special, nothing much, nothing extraordinary, and yet truly extraordinary to be with an in-breath, to experience an out-breath, to slow down enough to be able to sensitize ourselves to this obviously essential aspect of being alive, without which there would not be life. You know, so that the, we enter into a sense of preciousness of life, something that oftentimes we're complacent about and take for granted, unless something very difficult is happening. And so in the form of the sitting, the appreciation of simply just sitting, the appreciation of experiencing the breathing, of feeling the breath come and go. In the walking, the sensitivity to sensations that are happening, you know, the appreciation that we can walk, and then the appreciation of the sensuality, in a sense, of, of being aware of the sensations of walking. And sensing ourselves as being part of a lineage every single time we sit and we walk. 
many people have done this before us and have not wasted their time. And so when we sit and walk, we are doing the same thing. We are really in a lineage. We are reminded in this environment through the silence as well, just simply the fact that we're here together and we're not talking to one another, reminding ourselves through the outer silence. And it's true. Outer silence is is really a, a rare and precious thing in this world and is not easy to attain. But inner silence is a whole lot harder. So the outer silence can remind us of the possibility of inner silence and how we can kind of cultivate this possibility of a deeper sense of inner silence is through forgetting or neglecting to talk to ourselves. If you notice throughout the day today, whether new or middle or what we might call old yogis, you might have noticed a great deal of commenting, describing, talking to oneself, maybe coaching oneself, maybe encouraging oneself, maybe criticizing oneself, maybe simply describing, I am doing this right now, I am doing that right now, I am going to the, um, to the hall right now, um, I have to do this, I have to do that. You know, maybe talking to someone else about this who isn't even here. You know, a dialogue to someone else. But it's the same thing. It's talking to oneself because the other person isn't here. So it still counts as talking to oneself. It's, you know, it seems a little bit different because of the <laughs> fantasy and the imagination. And we think maybe when we get home, we'll really say what we're thinking. You know, the person's probably so bored about if we, if we were really saying it. And of course, oftentimes we repeat it over and over again. So if they weren't bored the first time, they certainly would be bored <laughs> by the 50th time that it's repeated. So looking at how we kind of get in the way of silence by continuing to talk to ourselves. When we talk to ourselves, we are not able to listen to ourselves. Now, it's not possible because we're, um, we're kind of full of what we're saying. You know? And to be able to listen is what is required is a very gentle letting go when we get the chance When it's happening and there's a lot of pressure to it, we can't do much about it. But we do get a chance from time to time. And when we get a chance, we do want to let go. Another way that we're reminded in this environment is through instructions and teachings. The essence of the instructions will always be to be present. You know, said in many, many different ways. But the essence of the teachings are to be present, to come back to yourself, to be receptive to being helped, to being loved, to loving, and at the same time to remember that mindfulness is deeply empowering. The teaching, the essence of the teaching is to trust in awareness, to trust in one's own capacity to be aware, to be able to know, to be able to observe instead of being totally lost and overwhelmed by our experiences. Trusting in awareness versus trusting in what comes and goes. You know, trusting in a fleeting thought. It may be repeated many times, but it still comes and goes. 
trusting in a particular state of mind, not a good idea. Trusting in restlessness, terrible idea. Trusting in sleepiness, you know, worse idea. <laughs> Trusting in self-doubt, really a bad, bad idea. You know? Really, practice, a great deal of it is, is doubting one's doubt and seeing if we can trust in awareness instead. Each time we remember, on whatever level, but each time we remember to be mindful, it becomes easier to remember because we are turning around our habit, our conditioning of forgetting. So every time we remember, it's really crucial. It's not as if just because we've forgotten for an hour or two, it doesn't matter in that moment of remembering. It matters so much. It is vital to take that, that choice when we realize that we're remembering again to just see if we can push it a little bit, remember another moment as well. This is what makes all the difference in our life. Why is it so hard for us to remember? One reason that it is very hard for us to remember is because we've been going in a mindless direction for an awfully long time. Now, sometimes we come to practice and we, we have this kind of sense of entitlement, like, why isn't anything happening? Or, you know, I've spent, um, whatever, the first, um, first half of my life in going in a certain direction, you know, being pretty spacey and distracted and all over the place. And then we begin to practice and we think things should turn around more quickly than they do, you know? And really to, I think, recognize how long, and if, of course, if we have any, any sense or, or whatever, if we trust the Buddha in terms of past lives as well, can be an awfully long time, really a long time. The Buddha actually said that ignorance is beginningless, which kind of, you know, is one of those statements that just, <laughs> he has some statements that just kind of, you know, make the mind pop which um, probably is the function of those statements, to not be able to think about it too much, but to move into the nonverbal, which, of course, is what mindfulness is, is the nonverbal. For uh, many years, perhaps, we have been ignoring how things are. We've been disconnected from nature. Uh, There's this saying, no matter how far along the road of suffering we've gone, turn back. And that's what we're doing. Over and over again, we're turning back. We're turning back. We're turning back. We're orienting ourselves in a totally different direction. It is also hard to remember because of the power of conditioning, the sheer power of our conditioning. Through our practice, awareness can meet our conditioning. You know, in the beginning... Really, the torments of heart overpower our capacity to be mindful, you know, totally overpower any ability or, or capacity we have to be mindful. So it's as if what is happening, whatever thought comes along, whatever state of mind comes along, whatever emotion comes along, whatever physical situation comes along, whatever it is, it's, it's here, and um, mindfulness is down here, you know? And then as we practice, it changes. The equation kind of changes so that eventually it's kind of a fair match so that 
awareness can meet whatever is in front of it with some chance of standing its ground. Instead of being crushed and overwhelmed or stuck to, dwelling in, clinging to, you know, there's a way in which we can stand our ground. So this is what gradually begins to happen. And of course, you know, as we practice more and more, our capacity to be aware grows, you know, is strengthened, becomes stronger than whatever it is that is in front of it. But I think to respect and to recognize the sheer power of our conditioning is quite crucial in terms of any sense that things should be different than the way that they are, in terms of any any sense that we should be different or our minds should be different than the way that they are. When we can honor the depth of our conditioning, then we're willing to practice with patience. We're willing to practice with a greater sense of self-compassion, with a greater sense of inner kindness, simply knowing that we're going in the right direction. We have begun to turn back. So no matter how long it takes, and it's out of our hands how long it takes, and it isn't actually a matter of time, we have turned around, we have turned back, and we are going in the direction which is towards happiness and away from suffering. Why should we always be mindful? Why be continuous? Now, something that we, we hear is, see if you can be mindful in all moments during the day, not just some. See if you can be mindful, not just in the sitting, not just in the walking, but at all moments during the day, you know, when we're drinking a glass of water, or when we get some tea, or when we're going to the bathroom, or when we're walking through the dining room, when we're, even when we're going to bed. You know, there's no break in this. There's no rest for the weary. Always this encouragement to be mindful, you know? And sometimes the mind just is extremely resistant, and we think, even now, you know, can't I, can't I have a little break from this? Because um, I just can't do it anymore. I was um, in the dentist office. I was having gum surgery some years ago, and there was a great um, kind of um, comic up on the wall. Um, and it was a picture of a little boy and a dentist, dentist office. And the little boy was looking up at the dentist, and he said to the dentist, in kind of a, you could tell it was kind of a, a, a pleading kind of way, he said to the dentist, do I have to floss all my teeth? Yeah? And then the answer from the dentist was, um, no, of course not, just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> and this is, to me, this is practice. You know, do we have to be mindful all the time? Absolutely not simply the moments that we want to live. Yeah? That's all. Yeah? Only those moments that we want to live instead of being lost in routine, lost in the habitual, lost in the perpetuation of patterns that have not brought us anywhere. That's our answer. With wise effort and with clear intention, we won't always be mindful. At the same time, Wise intention and earnestness really are what matter. If there is the intention to space out, to take breaks, we are perpetuating our suffering. Whereas mindfulness and wisdom dissolve the kalesas. The kalesas mean the torments of heart, longing and hatred and aversion 
and resistance and doubt and delusion and confusion and whatever you can dream up that torments the heart are what the kalesas are. So mindfulness and wisdom, what's called satipanya, sati is mindfulness, and panya is wisdom. Together, mindfulness and wisdom dissolve the torments of heart so that we are able to see into the true nature of phenomena. This is, as I said, oftentimes called the practice of recollection. And so the second aspect of this practice of recollection has to do with, as I said before, recollecting ourselves. And what is meant by this is that generally we sense, we discover at some point in our practice life, we discover an enormous degree of fragmentation. You know, we realize that we're all over the place. This is actually one of the insights that we get. You know, it's a really wonderful, although painful, of course, insight to get, which is that we're all over the place. If we don't have this insight, then we're not motivated to practice because we don't really even know how bad things are. Whereas if we have this insight around fragmentation, around um, an inner degree of... um, of, of chaos, then we are much more motivated to practice. So we are recollecting ourselves. We are coming into wholeness. We are moving from fragmentation into a sense of inner wholeness. It's a gathering together of the diverse energies within you know, so that there is a sense of calm and of concentration. In a way, you could say we're going from a scattered mind to a concentrated mind. This is a a big aspect of our practice, is moving from being all over the place, being scattered, to a sense of focus and one-pointedness and concentration. We are moving from a sense of spaciness to a sense of spaciousness. And this is the direction that our practice is taking. We discover inner chaos. We discover that our desires and our longings and our pleasures and our pains and our aversions and our our wantings and our not wantings and our likes and our dislikes, they're all kind of colliding in our mind. You know, they're in opposition to one another. And gradually, gradually, through this recollecting process, we find ourselves at peace. We find ourselves no longer arguing with ourselves or with anyone else. When the mind is crowded and congested, it's like being lost in thickets. I actually, or like being, uh, our sight being obscured by something or another. I actually had a very vivid example of this, an external example of this, when I was in England many years ago. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
donate.